Welcome to the exciting rebirth of Superstar featuring choose your membership rate as low as just $3 a month. At Superstar, you get expanded exclusive video scopes each and every week, unlimited access to special horoscopes, class passes for Synchronicity University, consultations with me, and so much more. All of this in the Superstar space. I look forward to meeting you there. Hello, fabulous friends, fans, and superstars. I am your astrologer, Nadia Shaw, and welcome to this special video, uh, answering and exploring the question, when does the age of Aquarius actually begin? And I know that this is a very popular question right now as I'm recording this because we did very recently have the great conjunction, the meeting of Saturn and Jupiter in the sign of Aquarius for the first time in centuries. And this is something that a lot of people are looking to for hope. But of course, with the age of Aquarius and calculating when it is or when it began, when it is to start, well, all of that ultimately has uh, its own way of understanding and deciphering the symbols uh, of the sky and seeking to understand the mysteries uh, of the celestial sphere. So first, I do want to say that my way of looking at the age of Aquarius, when it begins, the age of Pisces, is very strongly influenced by uh, two people and the work that they did. So one is Carl Jung. He has a work called Eon. And in this work, he explores the different ages, in particular, the age of Pisces and how that differs from the age of Aquarius. But another person that actually has a huge uh, effect and somebody who I only knew through their work, and that is the late, great Jonathan Kainer. Now, Jonathan Kainer, of course, uh, was read, continues to be read by millions and millions of people every single day. And he was a phenom as an astrologer for so many decades. He has now passed on. But I discovered his work way back in the 90s, like when the world first started coming online, that's when I first discovered his work. And every day he would write this overview before he would dive into the different signs. And I felt like that overview he wrote, they were like mini astrology lessons. And I do feel like when I look back on like what led me to this path, there were certainly many people, many signposts along the way. But it was his work when I was a very, very young lady that uh, ended up being so important to my inspiration and my education as an astrologer. And at that time, not even an astrologer. I was more of a, uh, a budding, uh, curious consumer of astrology. But he turned me into a student of astrology without even perhaps realizing that that's what was happening. I certainly didn't realize it at the time. And so he spoke about the age of Aquarius as well, and I will be referring uh, to him for certain points. So let me first explain what ages are based on. Like when people say the age of Pisces or the age of Aquarius, this is rooted in uh, an understanding of a larger cycle that we call the procession of the equinoxes. So all things have cycles. And in particular, celestial phenomenon has cycles as well. There is a rhythm that plays out. Some we are more familiar with, right? Uh, there's a full moon every 28 and a half days. That's an entire cycle. That is the moon going all the way around the zodiac from our perspective. We have the sun that takes 360 days to go all the way around the zodiac. Jupiter, for example, will take 12 years to go all the way around the zodiac. 
Well, the precession of the equinoxes is calculated based on the uh, rotation of the Earth's axis, and it gives humanity these much larger cycles. It thinks and believes and asserts that um, the entire zodiac takes 26,000 years. And humanity will spend just over 2,000 years uh, in a given sign, a sign being especially dominant. Now, when we look at a sign in the zodiac, each sign is divided uh, into 30 degrees, from zero degrees and zero minutes right to 29 degrees and 59 minutes. That is the entirety of a sign, altogether 30 degrees within a given sign. And an age begins when we have uh, a sign at zero degrees. Now the calculation of exactly when uh, a sign is at zero degrees uh, or any degree really, well, it can be calculated slightly differently, which can mean that uh, the exact number can be off by a degree or two either way. And so if you think about it, one single degree represents uh, not quite 200 years, uh, but about 180 years or so. And when you have that type of margin where a single degree will be almost 200 years, well, you can imagine that a degree here or there or two degrees here or there can add up to centuries. And so that is part of the debate, like exactly when an age begins, and especially right now, because there's so much talk about the age of Aquarius, when exactly does it begin, is something that people are debating, especially in astrological circles. And so whenever a new age begins, there tends to be an iconic moment. That is the beginning. And in some ways, it's kind of like when you think about the song, right? This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius in our uh, cultural phenomenon, certainly back in the day. Um, the dawn, what happens at a dawn? Dawn is sunrise, right? So it represents a very beginning when we think about what is dawning. It has already begun, but it is in the very, very first baby steps. And so when we look at zero degrees like what is that moment that says undeniably here we are here's a brand new age the universe is announcing that the dawn has begun well one way in which uh some may assert that uh the age of aquarius has yet to dawn uh is that they calculate it based on the very iconic moment of the birth of jesus christ and they think of that as zero degrees of pisces launching the age of Pisces. And from that calculation, yes, it is uh, the age of Aquarius that's still about 130 years uh, away. However, there are many, and I'm included in that, who actually believe that the iconic uh, moment that announces the uh, age of Pisces, the beginning of the age of Pisces, is the birth of the Buddha. And I do think this makes sense. Um, the Buddha was born, well, we don't have an exact time because there are a few different astrology charts and birth charts out there, but we know he was born around 500 to 700 years ago from right now. Now, it was Jonathan Kainer, the late great Jonathan Kainer, who asserted, who believed, who said a few times in his columns, actually, because I remember I read it <laughs> over the years, but he believed that the iconic moment that 
launched the age of Aquarius, zero degrees of Aquarius, was the discovery of Uranus. That it is the discovery of Uranus that says, here we are beginning the dawn of the age of Aquarius. And it was Jonathan Kainer who believed that it would be over the course of this century that we would become fully immersed in this brand new age. Moving between one age or another, it isn't like flipping on a light switch. It is a uh, shift. And because the cycle is so long, right? It takes over two millennia per sign. Because the cycle is so long, it will um, take a little bit of time to move, especially when you're in a zero degrees of a particular sign, even at one degrees, the energy is very new, but it is once we navigate further that we become that much more fully immersed in a given energy. So when we look at Pisces, right, the energy of Pisces, actually, let me go back a little bit more than that, okay? Human beings are about 200,000 years old. Um, but when we look at modern civilization, um, modern wisdom, uh, we look at uh, literature, we look at mythology, we can date it back about 6,000 years. And if we go back about 6,000 years, this is the age of Taurus at the time because the procession of the equinoxes go backwards in the zodiac. And so the age of Taurus happens, and this is uh, matriarchal societies on the one hand, but Taurus is an earth sign, and this is where we begin to see uh, human beings establish agricultural practices in a whole new way. And in fact, it was agriculture that came to define um, civilizations and humanity, wherever it was that agriculture was taking place, people uh, found a way to gather, uh, to come together so that they could cultivate the land, for example. And so this is the very beginning that we start to see of centers um, where agriculture is the main commodity and societies are centered around um, agriculture itself. And again, this is a very matriarchal paradigm as well. We see that the uh, dominant ways of understanding divine energy uh, is rooted in uh, the sacred feminine. Okay, so then we navigate further, we get into the age of Aries, and this is where human beings start to consider their independence differently. They start to talk about uh, independent reality. But also this is where you start to see a greater focus on uh, things like war, for example, athletics, um, a magnification and glorification of physical strength starts to happen at this time. And we also start to see us move towards more uh, and more and more of a patriarchal paradigm uh, where it is sacred masculine that starts to be more idolized as strength. We see greater uh, wars being carried out, force being carried out uh, among different uh, cultures and civilizations. So that comes to characterize, and I know I'm being overly simplistic here, so do forgive me for that, but that characterizes in many ways the key words we look at when we think about Aries and the age of Aries, we can see that. But the age of Pisces, defined by um, the birth of the Buddha and the teachings of the Buddha, and we can also see absolutely in the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about how um, so central to the understanding of the teachings of the Buddha is this understanding of the non-self, transcending the self. Um, it is 
at its core a non-theistic religion. So that means it isn't matriarchal or patriarchal. It understands that there is an energy, a divine energy. And the point is to reach that place of nirvana, to do the work where you lessen attachment so that you merge. Now, all of these words, these are very uh, symbolic of Piscean energy. Pisces is an energy, yes, of compassion, but it's also the sea. It is delving in, diving in. This idea that we are one, that we should care for others like we care for ourselves, the way that Jesus' teachings represented, this was ultimately rooted in compassion, the more compassionate face of the age of Pisces. Self-sacrifice being a more compassionate side uh, of the age of Pisces. With the Buddha, there's this sense of transcendent. Yes, compassion is a core part, uh, of understanding some of the core teachings. But there's this sense of almost removing oneself from the physicalness of life and instead delving into a sea of energy where there is a, a oneness and all of us are one and all of us are the same. And we see that also in the practices. Pisces is a very meditative uh, energy. It is an energy of being plugged into source. It's a meditative energy. When we look at what was happening around the time of Jesus Christ, this was a culture of messiahs. And so a whole lot of people at the time are preaching and, and trying to get converts or trying to get uh, you know students and apostles on their side. And it was uh, ultimately the teachings of Jesus Christ and how he inspired his apostles that allowed the religion of Christianity to proliferate the world the way it did. It was his apostles who were so deeply committed and deeply believed in going out there and spreading uh, this core message that they were able to do that. But at the same time, uh, something that we see as we look at uh, history with Christianity, we see how there's an adaptability. And so what I mean by that is uh, there is this awareness, this sense that um, when they go into new places, new cultures, they are adapting the teachings and the practices to fit into what the established norms already are. So we do know, for example, uh, Christmas takes place, which was before it was called Christmas, was called Yuletide. And this was a celebration of the winter solstice and a celebration of the winter solstice. This was very common practice uh, all over Europe, certainly, and in many, many parts of the world. And so it made sense as you had the rebirth of the sun that you would have these cultural practices um, and ceremonies around the rebirth or the birth of the divine sun as well. Now, along with the culture of messiahs, we of course can have false prophets, false messiahs. Uh, and we have seen many examples of people being led astray in a really big way. Now, it's interesting because I was watching a documentary, it was a two-part documentary, uh, on uh, the very early days of Christianity. And it was on PBS. It was a wonderful thing. Uh, very interesting because I am such a nerd, right? I love watching the history of all these different things. That's a little bit about me. Um, but what I was uh, especially intrigued by was that they spoke of how the apostles of Jesus, so these are people who directly learned from Jesus Christ in his time, they believed in the end times, right? And think about what that means. The end times mean obliteration, right? 
everything physical kind of goes away. It becomes about spiritual and ascending and miracles and uh, the prophet returning. And they believed, these apostles believed that these end times would come in their lifetime, that Jesus would be back in their own lifetime. And then what happened was after years went by, decades went by, and uh, these apostles and other students started to die. Uh, they started getting very frustrated. They started saying like, how is it that the end times are coming, but now people are starting to die off and the end times aren't here. And this um, represented this core understanding of one face of that religion and how that religion developed. This belief that ultimately we would all transcend this human experience, this earthly experience. I mean, all of this, and I share this with you because to me, this exemplifies uh, Piscean teaching that much more. But of course, we also see exemplifications of another face of Piscean teachings in the work of the Buddha, this idea of transcending the self, the non-self, um, non-theism, um, and so much more. Okay, so now we fast forward and we have the discovery of Uranus. I know I'm jumping over a whole lot of centuries there, but here's the thing. The discovery of Uranus heralded truly a new age in so many ways. Up until the discovery of Uranus, the limits of the known universe was Saturn. Saturn was as far as it went. And we were the center of the world, right? It was our perception of the world around us. Um, and then, out of nowhere, the Herschel siblings discover Uranus and everything gets turned on its head. In some ways, we realize that we are not the center of the universe anymore, right? That there's so much more that we don't know, but also consider what was happening around that time that came to evoke the symbolism of Uranus. And so it is the discovery of Uranus that on the one hand changes what we know about what it means to be human in so many ways. Our place in the universe changes. Our understanding of our role in a larger context, our understanding of the divine itself, because up until then we were created in a divine image and we were, as I said, the center of the universe. And all of a sudden, it's almost like, well, wait a minute, maybe not. Maybe we don't really matter. We aren't nearly as important as we think we are. And this changes everything in an instant. And so let's look at some of the things that are happening around the time of the discovery of Uranus and why that serves as a catalyst for the age of Aquarius. Why Jonathan Kainer would say that the discovery of Uranus was zero degrees of Aquarius. That is the dawn, that is the very beginning. Well, a few things are happening at that time. So one is, this is where we first begin to harness electricity. And it is the harnessing of electricity that lends itself to the world that we have today in terms of the technology. But the harnessing of electricity then lends itself to the industrial age and very quickly over the course of really a short period of time, society is rearranged and people are coming into cities, they're gathering, they're getting together, they're living closer together than ever before in smaller quarters than ever before. So this idea of lots of people being together, this is very Aquarian. 
But this is where we also see things like automation with the industrial age. We see these factories on the scale that we just never saw before. And the main produce or, or the main thing being produced rather isn't um, food, but it's things like things are being produced at this time. This is the very beginning with the industrial age. This is the infancy of robots. But in an instant, all of society changes. But again, when I say an instant, I mean over the course of, you know, a few decades, <laughs> if that, less than that. Now, the other thing is, and I think this is important to mention, it is at this time that we have, and the thing that characterizes this new age is the Cartesian split. Now, the Cartesian split comes from Descartes, and it is, I think, therefore I am. And there are some who will um, attribute that phrase to the age of Pisces, but I think that comes from uh, perhaps not necessarily understanding the historical context from which that phrase arose. And if you are one of those people, I love you. I just want you to know, I know that we as astrologers, we are varied, we have all kinds of opinions. And that's the great thing about being an astrologer is that so much of it is about interpretation and how we're interpreting symbols and that it's a big tent and there's lots of room for everybody. So I say this with absolute love in my heart, um, but it is um, Descartes. When he says, I think, therefore I am, what he's setting up there is a duality. And this is arising at a time where we have a divorce of spirit and matter. So up until the Cartesian split, human beings saw the world with what's called a symbolic mind. Now this is so Piscean because you couldn't have something occur outside of you and not contemplate the deeper spiritual significance. So if you were an astrologer, you had to be an astronomer and vice versa. You couldn't be an astronomer without also contemplating the deeper significance of celestial events that an astrologer does. And if you were walking around in your life, if you looked up and you saw a flock of birds, right? That flock of birds meant something to you. It represented something, it spoke to you. It, it, it foreshadowed something about what may be coming up or what you're experiencing now as part of your human experience. And so then Descartes comes along and he says, look, there's spirit and there's matter. The two are two different things. There is thought and mind and there is body. Those are two different things. And if you think about the energy of Aquarius, Aquarius in its glyph has a very strong duality. So astrologers have thought of that glyph historically, traditionally as representing waves. And that is because the water that Aquarius carries represents consciousness that he pours out into the world. But now, of course, in our modern context, we look at those waves and we think about electricity. They look like waves of electricity to us. Waves of thought are symbolized by them as well. So up until this point, when it is that we um, saw matter, it was infused with spirit. Now here's Descartes saying they're two separate things. And there are lots of really great things that come about as a result of this Cartesian split, the divorce of spirit and matter. So one of the great things is, is that if you recognize that there is spirit there, then you can't necessarily judge the physical uh, shell. So for example, it is this distinction 
that makes equality possible, that makes human rights possible. Up until this point, the only people who really had rights, and you see this in the writings of the time, where books and works are debating um, whether women are less human, uh, whether it is that they are more primal, more animal, um, that it is man, it is male that is created in the image of God, that truly represents the image of God. And they point to these physical differences as speaking to this. And of course, um, we have racist ideologies as well rooted in this. But if matter is one thing, spirit is another, then what's happening on a physical level, regardless of gender or race or any other attribute, ability or disability, you um, cannot say what that may say about the intelligence or the worthiness of the mind and the spirit that that vessel may contain. There was a time in the ancient world where this belief in uh, the infusion of spirit and matter meant that if someone had a baby, and the baby uh, was uh, had a physical difference or what they judged as deformity for the time. Um, it was something that people did to actually take that baby to the top of a mountain and throw that baby over the mountaintop because they believed, like it is gross to us today, rightfully gross to us today, but they thought that, oh, okay, there's a physical abnormality, that means something is uh, abnormal in the spirit. And therefore, it is perfectly acceptable to give this baby back to the gods. They would do a prayer and they would do a little ritual sometimes and they would be very heartfelt and then off the baby would go. This is so sad. This is so tragic. It is repulsive to us today because we live in a world where we acknowledge the Cartesian split where we're able to see that duality and we wouldn't have this world today were it not for the Cartesian split were it not for the very beginning with the discovery of Uranus, the separation of spirit and matter. It is because of the separation of spirit and matter that we're able to look at that and say, that's disgusting. How could we as humanity ever have done that? Well, it's because we were operating at a very different consciousness. We were operating in the age of Pisces where everything was everything, everything was infused together. The physical matter didn't really exist. It was all about spirit and what was coming forward from spirit. Another interesting note is that the discovery of Uranus uh, heralds what is called the Age of Enlightenment. Um, now, when we think of enlightenment, we think about the Buddha, right? We think about uh, his teachings. But in the context of the discovery of Uranus and that time frame, this becomes a time of hyper-scientism. This is a time that almost rejects spirit and instead focuses on what can be empirically proved. Now, a side note, an interesting note, there was a lovely uh, friend and fan who made a comment in one of my videos where I mentioned this and uh, I was saying that, you know, this is the point where and that the age of enlightenment is when the definition of science itself changes. Up until then, if you were an astronomer, you had to be an astrologer. And there was an infusion between physical phenomenon and its spiritual or religious implication. But once we have the discovery of Uranus and matter is one thing, spirit is a whole other thing. Of course, this is what allows things like the separation of church and state to take place. 
This would have been unheard of. This was absolutely revolutionary to have a separation of church and state or governments and religious belief. But we have the age of enlightenment that changes the definition of science itself. And as the definition of science changes, it becomes a lot more about what can be repeatedly empirically proved. And so I made this point in one of my weekly videos and uh, there was a lovely person who said something to the effect that they had had near-death experiences and that uh, to even say that is harmful because it is people who've had near-death experiences that struggle to have them validated. And that certainly was never my intention and is not my intention. I absolutely believe in spiritual belief being very powerful. And I absolutely believe that we as human beings need to have spiritual meaning. We need to have connection with each other. We have an entire zodiac, remember, even though a particular sign may be dominant and may speak to a larger age, remember, there's always different cycles playing out at any given time. And we have a need on a very fundamental level to find meaning in what is happening, to feel spiritually connected, to understand the spiritual part of the human experience. And so that certainly wasn't my intention to in any way offend anyone. I am certainly not somebody who likes to do that at all, but it is important to make the distinction. That doesn't mean that something that isn't necessarily empirically and repeatedly provable in any way not valuable to the human experience or not valid as part of the human experience. But this is where we start to see this distinction. And the thing is that astrology, for example, relies on the infusion of spirit and matter because ultimately we are looking at a physical phenomenon, what's happening in the sky, and we are deciphering it and interpreting it. That is an act of poetry in many ways. And it is this act that ultimately represents a different paradigm and a different worldview that didn't really know where to go once Uranus was discovered. Now, the other thing I will say as well, I hear people, and again, I love you all. You are my fellow astrologers. I think that you're absolutely amazing. But I see um, sometimes some astrologers saying that they think the age of Aquarius will be wonderful for astrology. And I think that's awesome. I hope that that's the case. I don't necessarily see the evidence for that just yet. I think that the recent boon in um, astrology that has been taking place over the last few years is because of Neptune and Pisces. This desire that people have to feel connected. My dear professor, Patrick Curry, um, he wrote an essay in one of his books uh, that he co-wrote called Pulling Down the Moon, uh, Science, Astrology and Culture, I think that's the subtitle. And in this essay, he talks about uh, and connects the ideas of Max Weber to what draws people to astrology. And so Max Weber is considered the godfather of sociology. And Max Weber pointed to what he called the iron cage of postmodernism. And it's this idea that we will live closer together in more compact spaces than ever before, live in more crowded cities than ever before, but we are more isolated and alienated from each other and from our natural world than ever before in human history. And so Patrick Curry believed that it is astrology that answers that alienation. 
It is astrology that infuses a sense of connection to everyone and everything through gazing upon the cosmos, through gazing upon the sky. And that is affirmed in a very powerful way, in a sometimes quiet way, a sometimes unassuming way, through, for example, horoscopes, written horoscopes. Those two little lines in the back of a magazine that you find in the back of a magazine are making that powerful a philosophical assertion that we are connected to everyone and everything, that we as human beings have a need, a fundamental need for spiritual meaning and interconnection and spiritual purpose. All of that is affirmed. It isn't what is said in the horoscope. It is the fact that the horoscope exists itself that affirms this fundamental part of the human experience and the needs that we have as human beings. And so it is with the discovery of Uranus though, where this sense of interconnection just gets turned on its head, it no longer exists, uh, that astrology gets chased out of Western universities. It's still taught in uh, some uh, universities in India as a social science, but outside of that really it was chased out of academia. And astrology really didn't have anywhere to go. Now here's the thing, astrology will always be here. Astrology is a living practice. It adapts to whatever it is that the people need it to be, the people that it serves. And as part of being a living practice, it means that our relationship to ourselves changes, therefore our relationship to the sky changes, therefore our interpretations must evolve. As we evolve, the interpretations must evolve as well. And astrology as a living practice continues to evolve and so at this point, the discovery of Uranus, astrology is chased underground, really has no place to go, becomes outlawed in many places, becomes vilified in many places. So we as humanity go to this extreme at the time with um, this hyper-scientism, hyper-intellectual, um, hyper-empirical kind of energy that represents Aquarius. I think that the reason people associate um, astrology with Aquarius is because it speaks to, um, in a sense, humanity. It speaks to blending art with science. And also, I do think you have to be willing to be a bit of a rebel or an outcast to want to be an astrologer, to study astrology, to even admit that you like astrology in some ways puts you on the margins. And it is Aquarius energy that represents the rebel. And so as astrology came to represent this more rebellious energy simply for the fact of embracing it, that is where we start to see associations between astrology and the sign of Aquarius. But we go all the way as humanity during the age of enlightenment, hyper-scientism, and then comes the discovery of Neptune announcing the new age. And this Neptune, discovery of Neptune rather, was something that was calculated, it was predicted. It was at this time as Uranus was discovered that scientists and astronomers around the world started to get really excited, they started to freak out, there started to be this wave of discovery taking place from the minuscule to the celestial. And there were all kinds of theories of gravity and physics that were um, happening at the time, developing at the time. And a lot of scientists, physics, physicists and astronomers were trying to figure out where the other planets were because they believed there must be other celestial bodies. And so it was through calculation that they thought there must be a planet over there. They had that premonition 
and there was Neptune. There were a lot of calculations to discover Pluto until finally Pluto was discovered. Okay, so Neptune gets discovered, and this is sort of like the uh, this swing the other way, right? This very hard return or immersion in spirit. It is a response to divorcing spirit and matter that the Cartesian split represents. And this is where you start to see people wanting to have spiritual experiences. You start to see this return of messiahs, if you will. You start to see all these people um, who represent uh, bringing Eastern wisdom and packaging it for Western audiences and according to Western values. And it is in this space that astrology finds a new home. And that's why when you hear people say, how is astrology new age when it's so old? This is why. Because astrology then found its home within the new age movement. It became something related to an exploration of mystical energy and past lives. Of course, not everybody approaches astrology that way. But it is here that astrology finds its way back into Western society. But it is illegal. It is made illegal before then. And in many ways, it remains illegal. We have people, astrologers, historically being prosecuted. Alan Leo, Evangeline Adams. These are just some people off the top of my head. But a lot of astrologers are being persecuted at this time, are being taken to jail, are being sued um, by the government are needing to be um, put on trial. Like literally there are trials of astrologers taking place at this time. And then we have the discovery of Pluto and with the discovery of Pluto, astrology becomes a lot more psychological, a lot more of a tool of empowerment because it is Pluto that speaks to the dawn of the work of Freud, the dawn of the work of Carl Jung, and this is where we have uh, more and more of us wanting to understand what's really going on. And that starts to draw people to astrology as well. And so I would love to think, and I do believe that, look, astrology will always be here. It'll always find its home. But I actually think that as we are now stepping more fully into the age of Aquarius, it is going to be um, that the world starts splitting up more and more into niches. So even within astrology, like you have astrology, right? And within astrology, there are lots of little niches. You have traditional astrologers, evolutionary astrologers, psychological astrologers. Like there's a whole lot. Mystical astrologers. I call myself a mystical uh, astrologer because I was very influenced by uh, the work of Ibn Arabi, who practiced mystical astrology. But... There are different schools. There's the Uranian uh, system. I mean, there's just so many. And so within those different pockets, within those different niches, they each have their own superstars. They each have their own people who love them, who are crazy about them, who read all their books. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's a really big tent, and that's great too. There's enough room for people who are practicing traditional astrology or Hellenistic astrology or Vedic astrology uh, or all the other forms that are out there, so, so many. But I do think that Aquarian energy itself does represent this sense of uh, new pockets and this sense of the world um, sort of becoming a place where these niches start to be catered to more and more. And that will be reflected in astrology, I believe, in my humble opinion. 
But I think right now what we're having is sort of like the last stand, right? It's like this fight between the age of Aquarius and the age of Pisces. Because right now we have Neptune moving into the final degrees of Pisces. And it is going to be 2024, 2025. As Pluto is moving in and out of the sign of Aquarius, zero degrees of Aquarius, there are periods and pockets of time within that that Neptune is hanging out at what is called anoretic degrees. And what that is, is the very end of a particular sign these degrees, these parts of a sign, 29 degrees especially, but 28 degrees as well, these are considered very concentrated parts of that sign. And then here we have Neptune, modern ruler of Pisces. And I feel like this is going to be um, the awareness, the intensity around Piscean energy that ultimately will find its response with Pluto moving into Aquarius. Given that it is this century now where we are going to have great conjunctions, but they are going to be taking place entirely in air signs. And with all this air energy being activated, thought becomes more and more dominant. The future economy becomes more and more related to the ideas that you bring and automation. Everything else gets automated where you bring unique ideas, unique perspectives, where it is that you're willing to connect with a particular group as part of a niche, that is where you're going to find people um, excelling and standing out. But I feel as if it's almost like we are on the precipice of the last stand of the age of Pisces. And it is going to be Pluto moving into Aquarius that is going to more fully immerse us into the age of Aquarius. And so I do think it is, uh, as part of the wisdom this decade with Neptune at the very end of the sign of Pisces that in many ways is going to provide the events and the experiences on a world scale that do end up launching us in a direction uh, that prioritizes qualities like rationality and reason. And that is something that isn't always a great thing, but the great thing is, is that at the same time, there is going to be a greater prioritization placed on uh, equality and human rights. And I think that the freedom and equality, the right to be you, to like what you do, especially if it's astrology and it's not hurting anybody, I think that that ultimately uh, is something worth protecting and celebrating. So when does the age of Aquarius begin? Well, according to Jonathan Kainer, we reached zero degrees of Aquarius with the discovery of Uranus. And I personally happen to agree with that timeline. If you look at the discovery of Uranus and the birth of Buddha, right there you got that timeline from zero Pisces right to zero Aquarius. But of course, as with so many things, we are in the dawn. We are in a period of transition, just like a dawn represents the dawning of the age of Aquarius, represents the night being left behind and a new day on the horizon. That is the phase in many ways that we are in. But it is gonna be this century, according to Jonathan Kainer, and according to me, this decade. By the time we get to the end of this decade, my belief is based on the celestial symbols and my interpretation of them, that we will be in a very different world before the decade of the 2020s is even over. 
Well, thank you so much for watching. I'm so very grateful for it. Make sure you check out links in the description below. Decade Ahead, Jupiter and Aquarius, Saturn Aquarius, all of that. Uh, and of course, you can find me online at NadiaShaw.com, NadiaShawSuperstars.com, and so much more. I look forward to celebrating this journey towards the full immersion into the age of Aquarius with you.